All right, all right. This is Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And Peter, let's start off all guns blazing. We are going to be talking to Kathar, who most of us know as the vocalist of Singapore-based Vedic metal band Rudra. But the conversation isn't just about Rudra, right? Yep. In this episode, we introduce The Wandering Aesthetic, the new album Crimson, which is scheduled for release next month via Transcending Obscurity. So let's dive right in. No extra setup required. Joining us from his home in Singapore, here's Kathir. Ready to do this? All right. Sounds cool. All right. So Kathir, uh, Horns Up is essentially about us tracing our metal journeys. So let's trace your roots. How did you discover metal? Yeah, that's a very good question and a very interesting one for me as well because I grew up um, in my um, in my early years when I was um, in my years uh, that I can't even remember perhaps as, as a child and eventually into teenage years I, I grew up listening to Santana, Michael Jackson, uh, Pointer Sisters and stuff like that. It's all 80s pop music um, that I was listening to. That was primarily because of my dad because he used to play those records uh, at home and, and also um, listening to a lot of um, uh, Tamil music, Tamil soundtrack music of the 60s and 70s. That's how, that's what I grew up. And then in the late 80s, I, I stumbled on a couple of rock albums and heavy metal albums that got me interested. The first being uh, Def Leppard. Uh, Def Leppard's uh, Hysteria was the first rock album that I listened to and I got hooked onto it. And from there, I went on to uh, uh, Motley Crue, uh, which is a, a big influence on me because I think Motley Crue is probably one of my favorite bands till today. Mm-hmm. I love it. And then Guns N' Roses, King Diamond, and all of that. But but that did not bring me into extreme metal yet, right? Because okay. these are still heavy metal bands. But the first, my first taste of uh, extreme metal band was actually Metallica. But wow. I did not like it. Really? Which album did you listen to? I listened to Creeping Death, and then I listened to Ride the Lightning, and I did not like it. And I'm not a I'm I'm not a Metallica fan till today. <laughs> that's something yeah very very i guess uh, a lot of people would be disappointed with the fact that i i'm not a fan of metallica but to be very honest um i like specific albums of metallica uh-huh. that i do yes and my favorite being injustice for all oh mine too yeah that's my favorite all-time favorite um metallica album uh but the band that really got me into um um to the extreme side of metal is actually Slayer. So Slayer's Rain in Blood and Seasons in the Abyss um, inspired me. Uh, so that was the first band that wanted me to form a band. The second band that wanted me to form a band was Sepultura. Right. Sepultura's uh, Beneath the Remains, Schizophrenia and Arise. Uh, these three albums uh, were also on repeat. Uh, on my CD player, and 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 yeah, at that time, yeah, I was I, I told myself, you know what, uh, Motley Crue, Sepultura, Slayer. Now these three bands uh, really wanted me to form a band, but the band that really gave us the confidence to to do what we are doing is Battery. Right. So Battery uh, was the band that gave us the confidence that you know what, you can play anything. As long as you love it and you have the passion uh, for it, and it will sound um, very good. And that's what I discovered in the first uh, three albums of Battery. Now, you don't have to, have, you don't need to have good production, but what you need is just nice, some great hooks. And yeah, you, get, you can get people hooked onto your music. 
So you can see that these four bands shaped uh, yeah, my, my musical taste and eventually what happened in Rudra. So taking off from that, with bands like Def Leppard, Metallica, all of these are seminal. Now, both of us are products of the 90s. How was it for you in Singapore growing up? Was it easy to find metal, merch, fans? At that time, in the, in the early 90s, uh, for me, it was through friends, actually, because I was studying in a polytechnic. I was doing my diploma in, in engineering. And in that, um, in that, uh, cam- at, that, at that campus, I had a lot of friends who were into metal music, and that's how we do. We exchange tapes, all right? So that's one thing, like, you know, someone would, we would hang out in the, um, we call it the canteen, right, uh, during breaks. And then someone would say, hey, check this out, King Diamond. Hey, check this out, uh, Death. Uh, of course, Death being a very big influence on me as well. So that's, that's how we got to uh, know different bands, Sacred Reich, um, yeah, name it, all the early thrash metal as well as Bay Area bands, X Hodder. Now, all of this were actually, I listened to Megadeth, Metallica, all by basically through friends. Now, that's number one. Number two is we, we, have a, we had a, many shops in Singapore selling tapes of metal bands. It was readily accessible. Now, even T-shirts, right? We, we, we had shops uh, where we could buy uh, rock merch and metal merch, T-shirts, um, stickers, patches. Now, we had that... Um, uh, it was available in that sense. So we had no difficulties uh, in terms of assessing uh, music. It was not a problem at all. Uh, just that perhaps CDs were very expensive then. So we, okay. resorted, we, uh, we, res- we resorted to tapes, actually. So it worked for us, yeah. Tell us a bit about the local bands in the scene back then. What was it like back in the 90s? No, at that time, there were... Um, now, it all depends at what phase we are talking about. Now, if you're talking about the early 90s, now, we were very much isolated from the scene, actually. There was a, there was a metal scene uh, at that time in Singapore, and there were a couple of bands. And, but we had no uh, contact with these people until a little later in 94, 95. So the first two years, we, we were kind of isolated. So we are like kind of a mushroom in that sense. Okay. Right? So, yeah, we, we were kind of a mushroom where we kind of, we, we just sprouted on our own using the influences that we had. All right? But we, we, but we were aware through zines and magazines that there was a, a first wave of metal bands in Singapore. Now, at that time, it was Global Chaos. It was a band called, there were bands like Global Chaos, Opposition Party, Silent Sorrow. Uh, so these were the bands that were around prior to Rudra. All right. So uh, these were bands that we have not watched. We have not met them, but we have, we have read about them um, on uh, magazines. And so then we were part of the, then when Rudra came, uh, uh, came out, which was in 92, we were part of the second wave of metal bands in Singapore. So during the second wave, there were a couple of bands that, that of course, also sp- sprung up along with us. Um, I think the only band that has been around since then is Impiety. But we have never met the guys from Impiety until much later in 98. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have never met. So we all, although it's a very small island, but we never got in touch with each other. We never met up, although we have met other bands, but the only long-standing band, I think, alongside us today is uh, Impiety. Oh, yeah. Impiety's been around for quite some time. Yeah, they've been around, yeah, around as long as us, actually. Perhaps or perhaps even one year older, yeah. So let's fast forward to today then. Singapore's hosted several big metal acts, has quite a few exports. There's you, there's Wormrod, several other bands. There are quite a few gigs 
I've played there thanks to the Ride Peddlers. We played Singapore last year and met some fantastic hardcore punk acts. Shout out to Mucus Mortuary. Really fun guys. But I don't know, I still get the sense that Singapore overall today isn't a very metal-friendly place. I mean, there is Enoki and what you see in the Peninsula Center, but given the political vibe of the country, there's this undercurrent of pent-up aggression that's a little bit different. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I think it has always been very stable, but I think the heydays were per, uh, perhaps over in that sense. I think it was in the eight, uh, late 80s and 90s were perhaps the, um, the heydays of um, extreme metal in Singapore. After that, we have been, of course, it has the, the, the attendance and the kind of uh, subscription that we have has dwindled tremendously, but it has, be, it has been stable for the last 20 years. So in the last 20 years, gigs uh, that we have played um, the attendance is very much stable. It's like the most you may get is about 200 people or 300 people in a small venue for a extreme metal act. And that has always been the case uh, yeah, for us as well. So we play to 200 people, 300 people in Singapore mostly. Yeah, so it is very much stable. Um, but having said that, now, the, the one of the things that perhaps uh, you, you asked a very good question that, that borders on to anthropology, actually, if you ask me, because, yeah. yeah. Because, because the thing is, the, the fact is, Singaporeans are very happy people. Now, when you're happy, you can't write metal. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, right? Because we, we, we have a, you know, our GDP is very high. People, you know, we, I, I guess you, when you were here, you would not have seen as many beggars on the streets. Um, because there's a, there's a welfare system. People are very comfortable. You know, when you, you know, you know when Black Sabbath was in Birmingham, you know, you need an environment gloomy and bleak like that. For you to create, you know, really sludge and heavy hard metal, uh, napalm yeah. death, you know. So we need something like that. So I think we are very comfortable. We are too happy. We, we are unhappy with things that are perhaps not uh, uh, what I call as uh, uh, big issues. We are unhappy with things that are very, very. Uh, I mean, in relatively speaking, they are. We are happy with things that are perhaps not the biggest issues around the globe, mm -hmm. right? Because we have we live in a country where practically everything works most of the time, all right? So our unhappiness is very subjective in nature, very personal, uh, perhaps, uh, yes. that, especially for people who are artists, because we feel that you can't make a living being an artist in Singapore. You know, you, you can't thrive doing what you love. Now, all of these are perhaps not uh, big issues, but they are, like you said, these are undercurrents, right? They are there. It's like a drone, you know, in our life. We are unhappy with this. Some of us, uh, some of us look at the bright side of it and move on. Some of us, you know, prefer to stay there and perhaps ruminate over this. So, but in spite of that, because of the fact that we don't have very big issues, we don't have an oppressive system, like Sepultura was born in a very oppressive culture, yeah. right? And Slayer was primarily a response to uh, religion, right? So, you see, we don't, we don't have anything to respond to except perhaps the perceived absence of freedom of speech. Yeah, so because of that, this is my opinion, not that it's a fact. Uh, so I don't think we have a lot of issues to write about, except maybe uh, bringing metal into the sphere of um, art. So you look at Mucus Mortuary, it's a classic uh, example of that, art. Yeah, it is. Yeah, these guys, they put on great shows because it's pure, it's artistic experience, an aesthetic experience watching them. So now that you've said that, Let's look back and see what inspired you to start a metal band with Vedic themes. I mean, there was nobody who had explored that sound at that time. What really sparked it? 
So there was a time in 90, because uh, we, when we first started in 91, we started playing covers of Sepultura, Slayer, Black Sabbath, and even Nirvana. You know, that's what we, we played. Then what happened was there was a growing dissatisfaction within me and Shiva, the drummer. Now, we, we, we felt that, you know what, we, don't, we, we, we do not want to be apes. We do not want to play covers because we wanted to express our voice. And, and so we wanted to find our voice. And when we started, so we told ourselves that we're going to write originals. So we started write, writing original songs in 1992, which got released just last year. We released a, an album full of bedroom recordings from, those, from the era from 1992 till 1995. So we had, we had managed to you know, uh, unearth some of these recordings from the world. Right? Okay. So you can hear those very early recordings, which sounds a lot like battery. Mm -hmm. Early Sodom, yeah, you can listen to that. It's called past life regression. So, um, so in '94 we were at the crossroads already because we felt that we started to sound like bands that we admired. Now, this okay. is the biggest challenge for bands. I think you would know that probably. Now, we subconsciously tend to ape the bands that we that inspired us that we liked. All right. Although I don't think it's quite impossible, it's quite impossible to to make to remove that one hundred percent. It will still stay forever, I guess. The influences that we have. But what happened was Shiva and I and the band member band member at that time was Bala and Selvam. So we told ourselves that you know what, we need to do something unique. Now we need to do something unique that nobody else could possibly uh, ape. So that's when we we asked ourselves what was very unique. For us, and we realized that all of us come from were of Indian descent. Yeah, all all the band members, we, we all our grandparents came from India, right? So we had something in common, which was mm. our cultural um, identity, right? So we thought perhaps we should delve into that. Why not? Why not look into our own backyard instead of trying to explore new pastures? So yeah. that. So that, when we asked that question, at the same time, uh, there was something else happening in my life, which was I started, to, um, I started to get very much involved in philosophical study, studying yeah, philosophical, uh, religious, philosophy, religions, as well as philosophy. philosophy. So, and then I started to get interested in the, in the ancient Indian works, ancient Indian philosophical works. And that, that, at that point in 94, where I was serving in the military, at, I, stumbled, uh, I stumbled on a book that, that inspired me. And I thought that, you know what, let's bring these two worlds together. So it was just purely taking two worlds that interested you and smashing them together. Exactly. That's it. That's it. So, so I started to also learn a, a little about Indian classical music for a while, for a year, uh, to understand ragas and how they are actually played. And what, how the, 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 what do you call the scales that are used, the ascending, descending scales. So all of that um, were, were, uh, was brought into Rudra's music. That was what we did. So we brought the, number one, the philosophy. Number two, the musical modalities uh, in the way it was uh, uh, written. So we had, you can, I think you would already know that there's a flavor of um, Indian classical as well as folk music in Rudra's music. Uh, this, so this, that, that began at that time you can what the earliest song that probably manifested these ideas were uh is actually um 
what is that? It's Dwelling in the Unknown, a song that was written in 94, 95. You can, you can see those ideas creeping into um, Rudra's music. Now that we're talking about crafting the Rudra sound, I mean, there was no reference point to your sound back in the early days. What was it like recording your self-titled album as well as the Aryan Crusade? Both albums which really defined the sound for the band. Yeah. So it was, to be very honest with you, it was, uh, we had no reference, right? So therefore, at that time, when Shiva and I at that time were, were already um, starting to write this album, and we were very apprehensive because we had no reference point. We, we told ourselves that, you know what, let's, let's try this out and see how the world responds to this. And so once the, the debut self-titled album was uh, released, we had our fingers crossed and see whether the world hates it or, they, or whether it, it, it likes it. And thankfully, it was the latter, right? So people, people liked it and we, it, it's still our biggest selling album. So that gave us a lot of hope and confidence to write the Iron Crusade. And that's why you see the Iron Crusade, it's, it's, it's bolder. It is, it is longer. The albums are albums longer. The arrangements are different. And I think for some people, they still claim that Iron Crusade is our best. It's, it's, the, it's the definitive uh, Vedic metal album. <laughs> first album I heard. Kurukshetra was my first album. Yeah. <laughs> uh, going back and adding on to what you just said, Metal and both Hindustani as well as Carnatic classical music pride themselves on purity of form. There's a well-defined boundary of sorts. And while you can color in as much as you want within it, step outside the box, uh, that's still kind of frowned upon. Uh, Given what you were doing, forming a new sound, how did you judge what you made? Did you look to others? Did you consult musicians? All right. So I'm not a fan of uh, Puritanism, right? So I'm, I'm not a fan of that. And I think that the, the world can benefit more from eclectic approaches where we can bring ideas and sounds together. So that's one big, um, uh, what I call belief that I had, a belief system that kind of contributes to what we did. So in that sense, uh, what, um, what we did was, the benchmark for us was basically how we felt about what we wrote. So every time we wrote a song, we trusted our instincts. We, we trusted how we felt. Um, so when, when, when we wrote a song, when we played it again and again, and that, that kind of cemented if it's going to be on the album. Uh, so that was the biggest, that's the only benchmark or the kind of a litmus test that we, that, we, that we used, which is ourselves, whether we like it. And to be very honest with you, in the early days, every song was written within 30 minutes or 45 minutes. That's how quickly we wrote. Because, because, we, because I, I, I could play the electric guitar, so I would be writing a lot of songs in the early days in my bedroom. And the moment I know I've got a riff, I would record it down on an on a MD tape, all right, and then uh, MD disc. And then I would bring it to the studio, and then we will nail the song within 45 minutes or an hour. Nothing more than that. We would not work too long on a song. That's our principle. Uh, because if the song doesn't sound right in the first uh, two minutes, now, dump it. If it sounds good, now, keep it. That's it. That's our principle. So we, we wrote songs very quickly. And uh, a lot of songs, like the song Amen um, that was in Aryan Crusade, was written in just 20 minutes. Yeah, it was just 20 minutes. We wrote the whole song. And a lot of songs on the, on the early, the first, um, uh, two, uh, first three albums were written in a very short time. Kurukshetra, every song was written in the studio within two hours. 
so sometimes it's like two songs, uh, one song in, a, in the studio. That's how we wrote. We wrote, we write it very, we write songs very quickly. Um, the only thing that we spend more time is uh, once the song is written and we like the song, it's like 80% there. We will not, we will only work on the arrangement if it is necessary. When we play it again and again and we find some parts repetitive, we may cut that down or we may add a, a, a section for solo and stuff like that. But it's usually baked by the time we leave the room because we, we work with a lot of recording equipment at the time. So every session is recorded on audio digitally, right? Even back in the days, yeah, we do that. So that's how we worked and we do it very quickly. If it, if it, if it, if it, if it tastes, I mean, sorry, if it sounds right, that's it. Do not, do not waste uh, any time on it. Let me give an example that on the, I think right now the crowd favorite that we played, the pathless path to the noble unknown, which uh -huh. is a very famous song uh, in every show. It's usually our, the final, final song of the set. Now, you will not believe it that we, we, we almost scrapped that song. Yeah? Why was that? Because um, when we recorded that song, um, while I had the vocal ideas, the vocal ideas was in my head, but it wasn't there when we recorded it uh, in the studio. And when we, when we practiced it in the studio as well, because I have not finished my lyrics. So people, uh, so the band, the bandmates found it, uh, found it very repetitive. Even the engineer was saying, you know, this song is very repetitive. But once I laid the vocals onto it, it became a hit. People, that became the most favorite song for everyone um, in the band. So, yeah, so, so we, 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 sometimes we, we really trust our instincts and we trust everyone's instinct. So we always go on, on, on a mode of consensus. Even if one person feels that this is, this is good, we would go for that. We, would, we do not need everyone to agree. Yes, that, that, that's the principle. We do not go on a word where everyone has to agree. No. We ask now, the four of us, do we feel that this is good? If three person says that it is not good and one, one member says that it is good, we'll, go, we'll, we'll take that judgment as let's go for it. Oh, wow. That's a really different approach. Yeah, that's quite a healthy approach. Now, since you're writing songs in such a short time, I'd assume that you would have a very clear focus or vision of what you were trying to achieve or what you wanted the song to be. So is there an oral vision that you were going for? And if so, what was that vision? Yeah, usually it, it takes shape um, in, the, in the room, in the studio. That's one approach that we take sometimes. We let the music do the talking. That means now when we come up with a hook or a riff that we find that, you know what, this is amazing. And then let's continue on. Let's develop that, that, that riff. And when we develop that whole song, now the song, the, the whole song without, the, without any lyrics, lyrical ideas may give us certain moods or certain feelings. I think in, 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 in Sanskrit it's called rasa, you know, that, that aesthetic experience. So sometimes we look for that experience. If it is too happy, we will ditch it. All right. Or if it gets, if it, or if we really love it, then it becomes an interlude. And that's how the interludes that you have in Iron Crusade. Right, uh, came up to be. So that's one way. That's one way that we develop songs. The song um, evokes the experience, and then we decide what the, what what the lyric is going to be. Lyrics is going to be. Now the other way is to set the direction. That means with some albums we plan the direction and the approach for each song and the theme and the philosophy and the topic very much in advance. So when that happens. While the lyrics are not written yet, but the idea is already in my head because we have, we, have, we, have, we decide how many songs are going to be in the album before we start writing it. That's how we work. Yeah, okay. we know exactly because you would know that every album 
in, in Rudra except the first one, uh, every letter or every first letter of the, of the song would actually form a mantra or a Sanskrit mm -hmm. phrase. Yeah, he was deliberate. So from the, from the Aryan crusade onwards, if you take the first letter of every song and you string it, you'll see a phrase. So therefore, we planned this very well. We planned this well in advance. And we also planned the theme and the ideas behind each song well in advance. Now, one of those songs, one of those albums where we worked entirely taking the second approach, where the theme guides the song was the album Rita. Uh, Rita, the seventh album. Now, Rita was entirely uh, uh, driven by concept, lyrics, and because it's based on the Ramayana, and each song is based on one episode from each chapters of Ramayana. Right. So, therefore, uh, you, therefore, it was very strongly defined by the story uh, in in uh, in Ramayana. So that was the second approach. So that's how we write usually. So let's take a step aside from Rudra for a moment. In recent years, there have also been bands with Vedic themes like Dying Out Flame from Nepal, uh, also Cult of Fire from Czech Republic. What do you make of them? I think these bands are great bands. They have, uh, I, I'm, I'm in touch with some of these guys or I'm in touch with guys who are in touch with these guys. I think all of these guys, I'm not sure about what, they, um, what, what it means to them, perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is something that is unknown to me. Uh, but I, I, I kind of admire the, the uh, way that these guys have taken it forward. Uh, something that, uh, um, uh, like Cult of Fire, I think it's great. Everything in, uh, in Sanskrit and Hindi, I think it's fantastic. So that is very um, amazing, an amazing uh, feat to do that. And the concept is very tight. The stage appearance is amazing, right? I take my hats off to these guys. And of course, Dying Out Flame from Nepal, uh, amazing, brutal, brutal death metal. And uh, yeah, I think it has taken form. And there are more bands like Kartikeya in Russia uh, who has taken another uh, form. And I've, I've recently came, uh, come across a couple of bands that have written to me as well, telling them that, telling them, telling me that uh, how Rudra has inspired them to do something of their own. And the good thing, the, the good thing that said, the, 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 the positive thing or the, or, or the, the, um, the feeling that I have is, uh, positive because these bands did not try to become us. Now that's something that I, I admire. Uh, the fact that um, they they created a part of their own because we wouldn't want to see another Rudra. All right. But instead, they they've created a part of their own, created a niche for themselves. So that that gives me a lot of satisfaction. That uh, yes, that this genre, not us, but this genre, has spawned more bands taking these ideas in different directions, very different from what we are doing, or perhaps um, not, as, uh, not as similar. You spoke about this a little while back, the Black Isle sessions and also past life regression. When can we expect some new music from Rudra? Right, so we have, um, now what happened, what happened was in the last two years, we have uh, gotten a little more busy. Uh, we are busy with a lot of with a lot of work commitments and stuff like that, business and work and stuff like that. But we have laid about uh, uh, we have composed a couple of songs that we are planning to um, take it to the studio in the next week. Actually, yeah, the next week. So we're going to start. We're going to finalize the songs and the record and the recording sessions uh, would begin by uh, June this year. So right. we hope to get an album out by the end of this year or the beginning of next year. 
Yeah, and in between that, now we also plan to release a, an EP that is going to come out, which is a bunch of uh, cover songs of bands that uh, that inspired us. All right, so we, it's now about to be completed, and that would probably see the light by June. So you will have an EP in June and possibly a full length by the end of the year or the beginning of next year. So there's a lot to look forward from Rudra this year. So keeping you busy is a new band, The Wandering Aztec. The debut album Crimson releases next month. So what can metalheads expect from this album? Right. So now the Wandering Aesthetic was formed in um, 2012-2013. We had one EP out. It was called Manifest Destiny. Um, so at that time, it was a three-piece. Uh, three Myself, um, uh, the bassist Jay and the drummer Kannan. So, and then in a few, uh, just two years, one year after that, we recruited Vinod from Rudra as well. So two members in well, the Wandering Aztec are from Rudra. Now, now, why another band, right? That's a good question. Because I'm, I'm for a fact, I don't like project bands. And if you realize I don't participate in, in, in many bands. Mm -hmm. I try to stay focused on, on Rudra and I don't do anything else. But back in 2011, 2012, now, um, now, I did not want my artistic output to be confined to philosophy and Vedic ideas. There are also other, other parts of me lyrically and also musically that I would like to also, that, that I wanted to manifest, um, that perhaps would not fit best into the, uh, into the, um, uh, the niche that Rudra, Rudra has created. So that's the reason why uh, I decided to start another band with another friend. Uh, to, to write lyrics and to also write music that is quite different from what Rudra is. All right. Okay. So that's the purpose of the Wandering Aesthetic. So in Wandering Aesthetic, um, I share the lyrical duties with the drummer. Um, and, 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 and I'm primarily the vocalist and the, and the lyricist. So a lot of ideas um, that I, I bring into Wandering Aesthetic now lyrically is very different. It is philosophical. It is poetic. It, is, uh, it has a lot of uh, uh, social... Um, I, uh, topics um, in in the lyrics and stuff like that, like Eva Braun is uh, is a song that is named after Hitler's wife or girlfriend, mm -hmm. right? And uh, I sing the body electric is a poem by an American poet, uh, Walt Whitman, my favorite poet. And um, right, so all of this are basically um, uh, basically rather the wandering aesthetic is a uh, platform for me to express ideas that may not fit into Rudra. So that's okay. exactly that. so. That's the reason for the for the for the band, and it's not really a people call it a project band, but it's not a project because project has already has always project starts and ends, right? So that's the that's the definition of a project. So it's not a project band. This will go on, and we would uh, release albums from time to time. Okay, so we know that the lyrics differentiate the wandering ascetic and Rudra. Is it too constricting for me to say that the wandering ascetic is everything you can't do with Rudra? Or if not, how would you differentiate the vision between the two bands? Um, in that sense, um, the vision in the wandering ascetic is very loose. All right. So it can be everything and anything that we feel like doing. So there is no real constraint except that perhaps we wouldn't want to do anything that is not metal. Being the, I mean, the fact that all four of us are metal hits in the band. So, yeah, so it, basically it doesn't. It doesn't constrict us. It doesn't restrain us from doing anything. But one thing that we do is sometimes there, ha there have been uh, um, times uh, that we have, when we were writing the song in the studio, where 
the drummer or the bassist would say, you know, that sounds like Rudra. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so that happens, right? So that, that has happened actually. So when that happens, then we know because the principal uh, songwriter in terms of um, the guitars and uh, uh, is Rubinov. Now he writes he he writes most of the riffs, and then the drummers a drummer and the bassist contribute to the evolution of that. Um, um, what they listen. So one thing that I do is I try to isolate myself from the songwriting. Ah, okay. So that's one way of regulating um, my influence over or uh, over what 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 comes out as a song on the album, and also how the song pans out. So by by isolating myself from that songwriting process, it allows me to not have a bias, right? So. So it's a very positive and deliberate attempt on my side to stay away from that and not commenting on it and let let the whole process go through so that I don't give in to my biases, which I'm sometimes aware, sometimes not. Another super obvious question. The Wandering Ascetic is a product of experience, right? Uh, you're not going through the usual learnings a musician goes through while approaching, say, writing, recording, rehearsing, performing, because you've already done all of that with Rudra. So, um, what were the firsts or the learnings as such for you as a musician on The Wandering Ascetic? <laughs> now, you know, I, I, I like that question because I was talking about this experience with Winner just last week. Not last week, sorry, the week before when you we were in studio. So, now what happened was when I used to write lyrics, now I knew exactly how to phrase those syllables um, or the words into the fit, fit the words into the into a song that has already been written, but this time almost half the album, um, the lyrics for half the album was written by Kanan, the drummer. Now, when he writes the lyrics, he does not listen to the the the, the song and write the lyrics. He doesn't look. He does not know where I'm going. I've planned my vocal my vocal lines. Okay. So when he writes the lyrics and he and he gives it to me and trying to fit that those lines into a song that has been recorded has been a pain. <laughs> right. It has been very challenging because and sometimes I need to I would tell Kanan, now could, would you allow me, to, would you give me the liberty to strike off some lines because I can't fit it. <laughs> and and of course, Kanan would definitely oblige. He said, yeah, go ahead, do what you need to do. So I, I would usually just check with him that, you know what, I'm going to reduce these lines. I'm going to maybe, can, can I delete these lines? Uh, or can you replace these lines? So that, that was a new learning for me. It was a new experience because I wrote lyrics for songs. But this time it was the other way around. The song has been written, the lyric was not from me, and I had to fit that into a song that has been recorded. Now that has been quite challenging. So you know what? Back in the days, I, normally I do not practice my vocals before I go into the studio because I've already, I've already jammed these songs with the band. Or I've, 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 uh, I have to, I have vocalized it as I wrote the lyrics because I don't get a chance to rehearse the vocals. I go into the studio and I record it. Uh, that becomes the that that that's how it goes. But this time around, I had to do homework. I got to sit down and listen to the songs and see where I'm gonna fit uh, the lines that Kanan had wrote. And yeah, it was interesting and also yeah, tiring in a good way. <laughs> You've given us quite a bit of context to the band and also the album. Which track from Crimson do you think represents your sound? We'll cue it up after you set it up for us. Now, the, the songs on Crimson 
are diverse. It's, they are very diverse. I'm not sure if you had the chance to listen to the album, uh, but they are very diverse. So, so much so that I think I've been receiving, I've been reading some of those, uh, a few of those reviews that have, that have gone live. And, uh, and, I, and that has been the observation of a couple of uh, reviewers. It is very diverse. It is heavy metal. It is death metal. It is black metal. So it's very difficult for me to choose one song uh, that okay. would be representative of uh, Crimson. It, 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 not, not, for, not for the fact that it would be injustice, is because I just can't, because every song sounds very different from... Sometimes I, 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 I would even ask myself um, whether this song would even be on the album um, at the time when I was laying the uh, vocals. But after the album got mixed, and to be very honest, um, I think every song has a, a, a new rasa, you know, a new experience that it creates. Uh, so it's very unique in that sense. So I'm 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 very sorry to disappoint you for <laughs> for not responding to your question in that sense. Ha! Huh, so all right, what rasa would you like us to enjoy first? Um, I would say it has to be perhaps uh, the will to live. Okay, and why is that? Yeah. Uh, just because um, that was the first song that I chose to be part of the live set. Um, yeah, that was my choice. So therefore, yes, I would choose that one. All right, so here's The Will to Live by The Wandering Ascetic. Breathe in, breathe out 
that was The Will to Live. It's a track of Crimson, the debut album from The Wandering Ascetic that releases February 2019. And we're still in conversation with vocalist Kathar. Now, Kathar, do you have any shows planned with The Wandering Ascetic? Uh, yes, we have uh, three shows planned for the year. We are playing a show in March. Um, there's a show, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, towards the end of March in Malaysia. Malaysia. Now we have that. And then um, we have um, another show in June, in, again in Malaysia. And, and another one towards the end of the year in Singapore. Now we've got three shows lined up. Great. Now I know you've played some excellent shows in the past with Rudra in India. Do you have any plans to come to India soon? When can we expect to see you? Yeah, and there's also a link there with Transcending Obscurity. So there is a connection, right? <laughs> now, um, now, we have not played in India in a long time, actually. Um, yeah, and, and we, we kind of planned an Indian tour, actually, in the beginning of last year. Uh, we did not work out. So, and we also got an invitation to play last year, but the dates did not fit uh, our calendar. But to be very honest, now India is, a, is always a great place for us to play because we have probably a big, uh, a big fan base in, in India compared to yeah, other continents. And also for the fact that uh, we also share um, the philosophical heritage of India uh, with, with the band itself. So anytime, buddies. Anytime we receive an invitation, we'll be the first to be there. Now, this, uh, this, is, this is a place that we never say no to. Yeah. And yeah, we'd be thrilled to have you back. Now, we've bothered you for around 45 minutes or so, and that's a lot more than what we could have asked for. So let's wrap up. Uh, what are you reading these days and what are you listening to? Any material that sparked new ideas? Right. Uh, at this point, um, I'm, I've not done anything new, perhaps. Uh, but I, I, one, of the, one of the things that um, I'm uh, reading at, at present is this one, this book that I have here. Yeah, it is uh, Brahma Sutram Chatusutri. That means um, Brahma Sutram is a, is a, a text, uh, perhaps 300 uh, CE, about 1,700 years old text, uh, authored by a person called Badarayana, um, this author. And... I'm studying the, the, the first four aphorisms uh, have been, uh, it's a commentary on the first four aphorisms of Brahma Sutra and it's quite thick. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is what I'm reading right now, looking, looking through, examining what it means. So this is my current read. Um, in, as far as listening to music, um, I am um, listening to a lot of new material. I'm a fan of um, new material. I, I do not, uh, I, I, I cherish the past, but I try not to get stuck by the past. So uh, last year, I think I published my, uh, on, on Facebook and Instagram my top 10 albums. Right now, what, ha what have I been into? Now, let me be very honest with you by telling you what's on my playlist on Spotify. All right? Okay. So they'll be very honest and instantaneously you'll know what I'm listening to right now. So right now, I am on um, what, what's on my downloaded albums. Let me see. Okay, so here it is. Uh, Agni, that is an Indian band, okay. right? And a new a, a local Singaporean band called Sangrianto. Uh, the album Blood Pact, System of a Down, is also on the on the playlist. Skid Row's uh, first album is on the playlist. 
Tesla is on my playlist as well. And this may be a little surprising for you. Uh, Lady Gaga, yeah, is also on my playlist. This is what's on my playlist. None of them is actually extreme metal. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Uh, on that note, Kathar, thank you so much for your time. And that's a wrap on this interview. You're most welcome. Yeah. That went rather well, huh, Pete? Oh, yeah. I think that went quite well. What else have you been up to, man? How was that Tesseract gig? Well, the Tesseract gig, to be honest, I was quite skeptical in the start about the whole venue since they didn't announce one in the start. But yeah, and once I entered the venue, I kind of felt that this would kind of fit in with the kind of music they had. And the band was spot on. I mean, the band are at their prime at the moment, if I may say so. The set list, if I look at it, included a mix of their tracks, all the way from their latest album, Sonder, to even old favorites from Concealing Fate. There was something for everyone. But man, you know, one thing I missed out was I kept looking out for you during the show. Yeah, I had my ticket and I'm still kicking myself for not showing up. Just whatever, work scenes. As a consolation, I did attend a Ustad Zakir Hussain and Rakesh Chaurasia concert. And of course, that's fantastic. Zakir is Zakir. But I would have loved to get that gent on too. Yeah. But you know, man, on another note, there was a bit of a bummer last week. Sad to know that, you know, Bruce Corbett, the vocalist for the legendary Rigor Mortis and also War Beast is no longer with us. He passed away on the 25th of Jan. Yeah, man. News like that is always hard to hear. But well, he'll forever live on. All we have to do is push play. True. So, that's all she wrote on this episode, episode 4 of Horns Up. I'm at Asmoani on Twitter. And I'm Trent Crusher. And we are at Horns Up Pod. Share, subscribe, chill, shit on us, whatever floats your boat. But remember to throw them horns up. Horns up. <laughs>